Biggs Mike went out this morning, so he asked me to introduce myself for this service. He's just being the pulpit boy. Thank you, Bishop Quigg. My name is Chris Royer. I'm the executive director of Anglican Frontier Missions. It's a privilege and honor to be here with you all uh, this uh, Sunday morning, this beautiful Sunday morning. I want to encourage you all on the way out to, to pick up a copy of our book, and it's uh, Shadows from Light Unapproachable. It's a, it's a little bit more about Anglican Frontier Missions and what we do. Uh, suggested donation is $10. And I also, as we commission Will and Becky McLaughlin to be missionaries in Cambodia, I also want to introduce some from the AFM family who came down with them. Um, we have Constance uh, McDiarmid, our chair, uh, a native of Roanoke, I hear, as she's right here, and Anna, her friend, a prayer partner, Patty Hall, our accountant, and also on the board of Christ Our Hopes Finance Committee, and her husband, Jeff. Would you guys just wave your hands? And uh, I see Will and Becky, or at least Becky, I don't know where, where's Will's back there in the nosebleed seats. It's great to see you, Will. So uh, let's go to the Lord this morning and ask for his blessing upon this time. Father, we thank you in the name of Jesus Christ that you have risen from the dead and you call us as your followers to take this message on every mountain and every valley, every city, every village. And we ask you, Holy Spirit, right now to come and fill our hearts and share with us how we can be better at doing this for your kingdom and for your glory's sake. And together, all God's children say, Amen, amen. amen. Well, uh, when I was 23 years old, God called me as a long-term missionary to the great nation of Turkey. And this was in 1990. This was in the days of VCRs. Does anyone remember what a VCR is? What does it stand for, anyone? Video cassette recorder. And so because there were literally no churches in the eastern side of the country, we would go trekking in there for months, at, well, for a month at a time. And so we loaded our bi backpack with Bibles. We had a portable VCR player, and we would visit people who had expressed interest in learning about Jesus. We were in the village. This is not recorded, so I'll be a little more explicit. We were in the village of Ovajuk, about 5,000 miles above, 5,000 feet above sea level, not miles, but feet. We went and knocked on the door of some Someone we heard was interested in the gospel and he did something totally unconventional for the Turkish culture instead of opening the door inviting us into his house offering us tea and coffee he got in his shoes right away put on his jacket and then he whisked us down this busy and bustling street with vendors on the left and the right tomatoes three lira bananas two lira and then we backed down this back alley into this smoke-filled room which actually turned out to be a Turkish tea house someone smart here tell me what do they drink in Turkish tea houses Tea, I heard it. It's not a trick question. Good. Tea, and they also drink coffee. There are about 70, 80 men in the Turkish tea house. And then he took the VCR Jesus film that I had in my backpack. He went to the front of the tea house. There was a TV and a VCR player. He put the baby into the VCR player, and boom, the birth of Jesus Christ occurred in that Turkish tea house, just like it had occurred some 2,000 years previously it went largely unnoticed. Because <laughs> men were sm smoking their cigarettes, yucking it up, shooting the breeze, playing backgammon, playing tabla, and I started praying fervently two different requests. Number one, Father, let them be captivated by your son because none of these men have ever had the chance to understand or listen to the gospel message before. And number two, Lord and Father, keep the cops away because there's nothing that the enemy wants to do 
than to thwart the message of Jesus Christ going out among peoples where it's never been known before, never been preached before. About 90 minutes into the film, I look back over my shoulder. You could hear a pin drop. 70 sets of eyes focused on Jesus Christ dying on the cross for their sins. 70 sets of eyes looking at Jesus walking out of the grave that they might walk out of the dead end streets, the brokenness, the despondency, and despair of their own lives. And after the film, I'm gonna get, after the film, this man came up and he said two things that I'll never forget in my life. He said, number one, that was an incredibly beautiful film. And number two, why haven't I heard about this Jesus before? And I thought, yeah. Why has this 80-year-old man lived 80 years and not heard about my Jesus before? Why have 67 generations of Christians lived and died, come and gone, and still some two billion people, roughly one-fourth of the world's population, does not have access to Christians or churches because community of Christ followers simply do not exist anywhere near where they live? Why is it that the global church spends 97% of our money in areas where the church already exists and only about 3% in areas where the church is not? Why do we seemingly focus on areas that we can see with our eyes, areas that are easy to get to, easier to communicate, and ignore those places that are harder to reach with the gospel? How can those types of people call on the one in whom they've not heard? How can they believe in the one whom they've not heard? How can they call on him? How can, they, how can they hear unless someone is preaching to them? And how can they be preached to unless there's a preacher sending them? Let's go to the next slide. The Apostle Paul, and the slide after that, please. The Apostle Paul was many different things. He had many different talents. He was a brilliant theologian. He was an insightful teacher. He was a discipler of men. He was a leader. He was a visionary. But deep in the gut of the Apostle Paul, was the call that God placed upon him on that Damascus road. Y'all remember what, what the Lord Jesus said to him when he blinded him on the Damascus road that day? I will make you a what? A light to the nations. Translation, Paul, I'm gonna send you continuously to people and areas where there's no gospel presence, not even any, not even one. And that's why Paul doesn't settle down after he plants churches. He could have. Ephesus is a really nice place to live, just like Roanoke. But he didn't stop there after the Ephesian church was planted. He didn't stop in Corinth. He didn't even stop in Rome. That would have been a brilliantly strategic place to set up shop, to reach all of Europe. Uh-uh. Paul is always pressing on to areas and regions where the church is not. And that's why he writes the Romans in chapter 15. He says, it's always been my ambition to preach Christ where he is not known, that I might not build on anyone else's foundation. This is the heart and the passion of the Paul that we read about Sunday after Sunday in the lectionary. And it's also the heart and the passion of two people sitting among us today whom you know very well, Father Will McLaughlin and his beautiful wife, Becky, right there. It's their heart 
and their passion as well. Will and Becky are really amazing people. I know you know them well, but just a bit about their story. Will grew up in a Christian home, and he always knew about missionaries, and at a young age, he told me, he, he told me this is what he thought about missionaries, quote, I thought they were nuts, end quote. Not real excited about missionaries. Becky's parents had missionary magnets plastered all over their refrigerator, so she knew about missions growing up. And then in college, she took a short-term mission trip to Costa Rica, and she had one of these Eureka Epiphany moments there, that the God who related to her in Costa Rica is the same God that she had come to know and love in North America, and that opened up her heart and her soul to missions just a little bit more. Uh, Will and Becky met at uh, college, and uh, Becky was actually thinking about going to the mission field after college, but her mom said, whoa, girl, uh, I think you should do a master's degree first. And we praise God that Becky listened to her mom. Great job, Becky, because they went to graduate school actually together, and the relationship, that the friendship that they had as undergraduates, that turned, well, a little spark was lit in that, actually, and that spark turned into a flame, and Will told me, quote, I knew I had to lock her down before she became a missionary. So good job, Will. You locked her down, and as soon as he locked her down, yeah, we can give Will a hand for that strategic thinking, absolutely. He locked her down, and after he locked her down, they got married, and they went uh, for a two-year mission trip in an Asian country and came to CHS here in 2015, and they've been serving you all graciously and gracefully since 2015, but God has continually been prompting and moving in their hearts and speaking to them about long-term missions. In 2019, at the New Wineskins Missions Conference just down the road in Asheville, North Carolina, the three of us met for the first time, and we talked a little bit about what missions in Southeast Asia would look like. And uh, since 2019, God has crystallized and developed their call. As an aside, the next New Wineskins Conference is in September in Asheville, North Carolina. It's the largest gathering of Anglicans globally. It's a triennial conference. And Anglican Frontier Missions is having a gathering before that. I warmly invite all of you to come and meet the AFM family and some of our missionaries. It's two days before New Wineskins starts. You can find it on your web- our website. And uh, we're really excited that this year, uh, Bishop Quigg will be our keynote speaker. So come with him and meet the AF family in September. Okay, back to Will and Becky. Uh, In just a few months, they'll be launching to Cambodia and they'll be living out the vision of the Apostle Paul halfway around the globe. They'll be church planting in an area of the capital city where there is not yet a viable or visible expression of the church. They'll be following in his footsteps. God Almighty has called them to this point. God has called not only them, but only also their children, Liam and Risi and Finn. God has handcrafted and custom designed their lives just like he does it to every one of us. He's custom designed our lives as well. And so Will and Becky, you know that as God has brought you to this point, God will take you through every step of the journey. Your job is to be faithful to him and stay close to him 
in the highs and in the lows, in the mountaintops and in the valleys, and I can guarantee you there will be valleys, that God has gone before you, God is going with you, and God, through the prayers of this church, will stand behind you every step of the way. Church of the Holy Spirit, missions is never just about missionaries. Missionaries means sent ones. You at Church of the Holy Spirit are the sending ones. So we need to ask ourselves today, what is God calling all of us to do here in response to their steps of obedience, in response to their steps of courage, in response to their faith? How might God have us to live our lives differently? Years ago, after I learned the Turkish language, my wife and I moved down to a city in Adana, called Adana in Turkey. It was half an hour from Tarsus where the Apostle Paul was born. We moved there in 1993 and it was devastatingly sad because not only Tarsus where Paul was born was devoid of Christian churches, 500,000 people in Tarsus, not one single church. The city half an hour to the west, Adana, a million people, million Muslims without the knowledge of Jesus and not one single church. But we knew God had called us and we knew our God is a great and an awesome God and he desires everyone to come to know him. He desires that everyone be saved. And so we moved in there in faith and we had a lot of wonderful experiences there. Like our two daughters were born in the city there. And uh, after our second daughter, Stephanie, was born, well, I gotta tell you, my wife is from South Korea and so when our two daughters were born, Asian genes rocked their appearance, dominated their experience. My girls were kind of like this, their eyes, and when the second one was born, she was the most blubbery, flubby, fatty baby that you will ever see. She's like, you know, and when she was like three months old, she had three layers of fat from her chin down to her chest. You couldn't even find where her chin line was. There was so much fat on her. And um, one day I was at the market. She was about six months old and I'm buying vegetables and the Turkish vendor comes up and he says this word that I'd never heard before in the Turkish language. I've been there seven years. He says, sumolita. And I pulled out my pocket dictionary because this is before Google Translate and I'm thumbing through trying to find this word sumolita. It's not there. And I said, what is this word? I've never heard it before. And he said, have you ever watched TV with those half-naked, big, fat, blubbery Japanese wrestlers? And I said, yeah. And he said, what do you call them? Well, I, I said, at least in English, we call them sumos. And he said, that's right. And sumolita is the feminine form of the masculine word, which I just made up to describe your daughter because your daughter is like a sumolita. She was chunky and blubbery. But a month or so after that experience, my sweet Stephanie got sick. We were church planning. We, God had moved in our ministry. We had started with zero believers from a Muslim background. We had a, a group of seven meeting in our living room every single Sunday, and they were committed to following Jesus. Muslims who had left Islam changed their identity card and were serious about following Jesus. And the attacks from the evil one kept on coming. Well, one attack was this. Our sweet Stephanie Sumolita got sick, and as parents of an older daughter we felt we got this we can handle this but after a week Stephanie was not getting better in fact she was getting worse and her facial complexion her color was changing 
and her stools. Her, she had had diarrhea, but now there was blood mixed into her stools. And so, of course, we went to a doctor. The doctor prescribed antibiotics, and we said, oh, we're going to try this. And, and ministry was going fast and furiously, and I was working as an English te- teacher part-time, full-time, actually, so we didn't have a lot of time and to focus on her. And a week later, she was worse. And we could see that she was in noticeable pain and she wasn't sleeping through the night. And she was losing weight. My seven-month-year-old girl was losing weight. And so the third week, we were taking her stools twice a day to the doctors because they couldn't figure out what was going on with my sweet little girl. And we're thinking, we, we need to get out of here. We need to go, go home and get this diagnosed by a doctor. And, and thoughts were entering in my mind. What if I lose her? That possibility entered my mind. I could lose my girl. And I was so angry with God. Like, God, I'm busting my butt here. I'm giving you the best years of my life as Will and Becky are gonna give God the best years of their lives, their 30s and their 40s overseas. I felt, God, I'm busting my rear end here and you're not even taking care of my daughter. What's going on, God? And I'm preparing my sermon on Saturday afternoon, frustrated, angry, tired. And this thought pops into my heart. This sickness is not physical. And I went, oh, Chris, you knucklehead. We've been praying for Stephanie to get better, but the lion's share of our energy and our thoughts had been finding a medical solution, a medical diagnosis to the problems that she was facing. But the Lord spoken to my heart that this is frontal spiritual attack. And so the first thing that I did was get on the phone. I, this is before the internet, okay? So think way back to the 1990s. I called our church prayer chain and I said, you need to pray 24-7 for our daughter this Saturday night. Sunday morning, we woke up and her complexion was just a little bit better. By Monday morning, her complexion seemed to be normal. And of course, we're religiously looking at her stools each and every day, and the, the, the texture and the solidity of her stools are hardening, and we're praising God for beautiful diapers. Praise you, Lord. And by the end of that week, our daughter was completely healed. Praise God. Let's give God a hand for his healing work in all of our lives. And so here's the deal, church. If 40 people from my small church in Colorado through their prayers could change the trajectory of one missionary's life, I'm excited to dream about what you all could do through your prayers, not only for the McLaughlins in Cambodia, but for all of the missionaries that you support. The first thing that God is calling you to do today in response to their obedience is to up your game in prayer regularly fervently, consistently. I hope most of you pray for them daily. They've got an an e-newsletter on the AFM booth in the North X. Take it, sign up for their prayer letter and lift them up every day because the more we pray, the more light and power and love and glory is gonna flow through them and push back the darkness of Cambodia.
Cambodia is a country that the gospel has penetrated ever so slowly. And it's, of course, the killing fields in the late, 19, late 1900s. And it's got this layer of Buddhism there. It is a spiritually difficult country. There will be challenges and triumphs, but there will be frontal spiritual attacks. And they need your prayers. Keep them in your hearts. Keep them on your lips. Pray for this couple. Church of the Holy Spirit. The first response God is calling all of us today is to pray for Will and Becky. Response number two is to go. The first response is for all of us. The second response, I believe, is for some of us here today. When Jesus said, go and make disciples of all nations, he didn't mean the the 190 geopolitical nation states and contemporary culture and the contemporary age in which he lived, we live. He meant the 17,000 ethno-linguistic nations of which 7,000 are unreached with the gospel. We call them unreached people groups. Say that with me together. Unreached people groups. There's 7,000 of them which comp- comprise about two billion people. Those are the places where Anglican Frontier Missions is focused. That is the place where Will and Becky are going. I wonder if God might be nudging or prompting or prodding some of us here today to follow in their footsteps, to take their example, and go live in a place among a people where the church is not. Pray about it. Think about it. Don't dismiss it out of hand automatically because God's heart breaks for the world and the darkest places on the globe are the places where the church is not. There was a a violinist of the last century, Fritz Kreisler. Uh, He played a lot of beautiful music, made a lot of money, gave a lot of it away. He discovered late in his career that this classic antique violin, which he lusted after, was gonna be put on the market for sale. He knew he didn't have enough money for this violin, so he started playing more, raising more money, only to find that when he went to the collector, the, the violin had been sold to someone else. So he went to the guy who bought the violin And the guy said, sorry, I'm not gonna sell it on my life. Chrysler was dejected. As he was leaving the collector's estate, he he said to him, could I just play that violin just once? The collector said, sure. So he tightened the bow, he rosined the bow, he tuned the strings, he, he picked it up and he started playing this heavenly, sublime music, the most beautiful music that the collector had ever heard with his own ears. So much so that the collector just started crying uncontrollably. He was sobbing as Chrysler was playing in his midst. And as he was putting the violin away, the collector said to the violinist Chrysler, I cannot keep this for myself. Take it, but play it for all the world here. Church of the Holy Spirit, we carry something so much more expensive than a wooden instrument. The life, the love, the beauty, the power, the treasure, the mystery, the glory of the crucified Lord Jesus Christ is living inside each and one, inside each and every one of us. It's beautiful. It's the mystery, Christ in us, the hope of glory. 
And Will and Becky have discovered this. They've got this. They're living this. Two months from now, three months from now, they're going to be living halfway around the globe, playing symphonies of the love of Jesus to a people they have not yet met. Because these people are living in utter darkness. Our response to their steps of obedience, first and foremost, is to pray. Pray for them. Pray for all of your missionaries. And secondly, I believe God is calling some of us to follow in their footsteps today and go to places where the church is not because Jesus died for this whole world. Will and Becky, you've got beautiful hearts. You've got beautiful feet, says Isaiah. Beautiful heart and beautiful feet. And right now in our service, we're gonna be confessing our sins and then commissioning Will and Becky as they go to the ends of the earth. To God be the praise and glory. Amen. Amen.